lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota, and SixFootMama.com. This is Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling. Still Growing is a gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Still Growing, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jennifer Ebling. In today's show, I'm sharing my conversation about getting help tending your garden, and helping me with this episode is Jenny Prince of American Meadows. Are you needing to find help with your garden this year? Have you tried to find neighbor kids or local students to help you out? Over the years, I've worked with lots of kids to help me in the garden. And this year, with my upcoming surgery, I'll be needing help again. But how can you find good help? And what's the best way to train kids to help you in the garden? That's the topic of today's show. And it's all coming up after the Garden News Roundup. But first, I'd like to start out by saying thank you for spending some time with me this week on the show. I know that there are many options for podcasts out there, and I'm so sincerely honored that you're spending some time here listening to the Still Growing Podcast. And if you have some garden friends that you think would enjoy the show, please tell them about it. That's the best way for podcasts to grow their audience. If you're looking for a deeper interaction on the subject of gardening, I'd love to connect with you in a deeper way, and the best way for us to do that is for you to join the Still Growing Community. It's a private Facebook group that I host for gardeners of all skill levels and locations. In fact, there are gardeners from all around the globe in the group, and what I love is that it's not overwhelmingly large. It's a pretty small group. It's very intimate. And it's just a nice little group for listeners of the show who share a passion for gardening and have a curiosity to learn more. Plus, it's free and easy to join. So come hang out with us. Don't be shy. Even if you've been listening for a long time and you've never joined the Still Growing community, it's really super simple to be part of the group. All you have to do is go to Facebook and search for the Still Growing Podcast group, and then just click to join. Or you can go to my website at sixfootmama.com. That's the number six, F-T-M-A-M-A.com. And right in the main menu is a link to the Facebook group. So you can just click it there and then request to join, and I'll admit you into the group. And if you're listening to this episode and you like what you hear, you should definitely join the group. Not only are there great giveaways for listeners, but in addition to sharing news and conversations about gardening, I'm planning some fun activities for listeners of the show. And they are all designed with you in mind to help you and your garden grow. So if you're not yet a member of the listener community on Facebook, just go ahead and join for free. The next time you're in Facebook, just search for Still Growing Podcast Group, and our group will show right up. And while we're talking about the group, I want to make sure that I welcome new members. New members in the past week have included Nancy Shumway, Kevin Roberts, Jennifer Gould, Renee Coyne, Julie Hui, Heather Clark, Miranda Thomason, Chris Kuykendall, Sharon Jennings, Janet McKay, Susie Evers, Krishnar Otlingham, Sarah Shetler, Laura Gonzalez, 
Robert Hold, and Deborah Amos. Welcome, you guys. I also want to make sure that I recognize my listener advisory board. These are six women that agreed to volunteer for this position. It's a quarterly position where we connect weekly on a Zoom video call, and the ladies give me feedback on the show, and it's a way that I can stay very listener-directed, and their advice and suggestions have been top-notch, really surpassing my expectations. They've been really wonderful. So they are Beth Engel, Denise Pugh, Denise Gardens in North Mississippi and is a contributing writer to Mississippi Gardener Magazine, Amy Fairbanks Von Atchen, Patricia Chandler Newport. Patricia is the owner of Backyard Urban Gardens out of Kego Harbor, Michigan. Deb Gibson and Peggy Ann Montgomery. Peggy Ann is the brand manager at American Beauty's Native Plants, and she was a guest of the show on Native Plants in episode 553. So if you haven't listened to that and you're interested in trying to incorporate some native plants in your garden this summer, check out that episode. Peggy Ann did a great job. All right, now it's time for the Garden News Roundup. These are just a handful of the curated posts that I've collected over the past week, and they've all been shared in the free Facebook group, the listener community for the show. So if you hear something and you want to read the full article, just head on over to the group. No need to take notes. In the guest update segment this week, I've got two posts to share. The first was a post by Jen McGinnis of the blog Frau Zenny. I had stumbled on this article, and then I saw she had posted on it as well. So it was total kismet. But Jen and I had both found this really freaky article about the latest craze in Japan. And it's a succulent and that has leaves that look like little dolphins. It's adorable. So this would be a super fun houseplant to have. And then last year, I had interviewed Benedict Van Heems of The Big Bug Hunt. And here I see that he did a video with Mother Earth News all about supercharging your soil for spring. It's excellent. So I was excited to share that as well. In the sustainability segment, is an article that was posted by the Sierra Club back in March. It's called Beyond the Bird Feeder. And it says, beyond making sure your bird feeder is filled and squirrel-free, maintaining your yard with the proper plants is a sure way to enjoy the sights and sounds of native birds. In fact, the National Audubon Society has launched a Plants for Birds campaign, which features a database that allows you to explore the native plants and the birds that use them in your neighborhood. In fact, Peggy Ann Montgomery and I talked about this very thing in her episode. So this program by the National Audubon Society is very simple. You go there, you go to the Native Plants database, and you enter your zip code, and then the database matches native plants and birds and points you to nearby native plant nurseries so you can transform your yard into prime habitat. In the continuing ed segment were three articles that I thought were so fun to try this spring. The first was shared in The Guardian, and it's how to grow houseplants from food scraps. It features things like pineapple, avocado, lemon, orange, and grapefruit, just to name a few. It would be really fun to try these with the kids, and there's a lot of detail here that'll help you give it a try. 
The Telegraph had a great article that I thought was perfect for continuing ed, and it's called Gardening, Publishing, Old and New, the Best Magazines to Read Now. It features great publications like Hortus and Rake's Progress. And it's really fun to read through back issues of these great publications. And then one of my past guests, Lori Neverman of Common Sense Homesteading, did a review of a book called Michael Risel Planet, Nurturing Fungi to Build Soil Fertility and Support Plant Health. The book's by Michael Phillips, and the book shifts the focus from killing insects and fighting disease to building vigorous, thriving ecosystems with plant and fungi partnerships. Anyway, Lori's review gives a great overview of the book. She goes through the different chapters, and I thought she did a great job of summing it up. If you want to get a copy of the book, you can certainly find it at any major bookseller, online, or at brick-and-mortar stores. In the how-to DIY segment this week, there were four things that caught my attention. The first was a post from Country Living, and it was about 13 creative DIY garden marker crafts. And these ranged from everything from wine corks to clothespins. Super cute. My personal favorite is to use wooden spoons, and then I just write on them with a Sharpie and polyurethane them so that they can withstand the elements. That still remains my favorite way to mark my plants. OneGreenPlanet.org had a fabulous article all about how to make a mandala garden. It's a great way to grow vegetables, and a mandala garden is very suitable for most suburban backyards. They're attractive, and you only need about 100 square feet. They work great in flat backyards. They make the backyard look more exciting. So if you have one of those super boring, big, flat backyards, a mandala garden would be perfect for that. And it uses a circular design, which works so well with nature, and it's very pleasing to the eye. So if you're curious about that, give that post a look. And then I stumbled on this great website that I absolutely love. It's called La Vie Rustique. And they shared the first principles for starting a kitchen garden the French way. I thought this was a great article. It also had some really wonderful recipes including a green garlic and new potato soup, as well as a pea salad with Parmesan and mint. That was probably one of my favorite post-discoveries of the week. And then finally, Piss and Vigor had shared spring cleaning, eight garden chores you can do in 15 minutes. It's always fun for me to read garden chores. It always gets my mind thinking about some of the things that I can do in my own garden. So I love those. In the plant spotlight this week is one of my absolute all-time favorite spring plants, and it doesn't get enough attention. It's always underrated, and yet it's extremely exciting for people, especially when they first discover it, and that's lungwort. Lungwort is a classic cottage garden plant, and it just brings so much beauty to the spring garden because it's got these adorable sprays of flowers. And the blossoms are so vibrant. They're pink and blue and white. And the bees love these flowers. And it's such an amazing contrast to these mottled leaves. I love it. And I've got one spot in my front garden, the garden that I do for my neighbor, Miss Money, across the street. And it is so happy there. It just comes back year after year. And it's tough because it's right up next to the curb. So you would think being in Minnesota, where the snow plows come through and pile on snow and salt, 
that this lungwort would not survive, and yet it is thriving in this wonderful little spot next to the curb. Anyway, it's a joy to have some lungwort. A lot of people aren't familiar with it, so when they first see it, they don't know what it is, but it's very captivating. I always say it'll just grab you by the heart, rip it out of your chest, and you'll be completely taken with it. You'll have to grow some. So lungwort was in the plant spotlight this week. In the news segment this week was an article I found out of the UK, and it's Battersea Roof Gardens. It's a 1,200-foot-long forest in the sky. It's a rooftop garden that has a fitness deck, a rooftop pool, and plants that cannot blow away in high winds. It's truly spectacular. It's one of the most luxurious rooftop gardens I've ever seen. The garden was designed by landscape architect James Corner. And when he was commenting on the garden, he said that the site is linear, so it's kind of long and stretched out. And he said that immediately suggested to him that he incorporates some sort of journey or pathway. And indeed, the garden is almost 1,200 feet long, so residents are able to wander from viewing point to private seating area, and then they can stop at the fitness deck for an exercise class or just stop to enjoy the forest and the sky. And there's plantings of maple and birch and aspen trees, and then some even have hammocks that are strung into the branches. If I ever get to England, I am stopping to visit this garden. Battersea Roof Gardens, and it was fun to share it in the Facebook group this week. And then Adrian Higgins last month wrote a compelling piece called Why I Want My Politicians to Spend Some Time in a Garden, and it actually focuses on Michael Heseltine. He's Britain's one-time deputy prime minister who's remembered as the politician who toppled Margaret Thatcher, but less well-known is his love of gardening. And the article says that he has done for horticulture what Winston Churchill did for Brook Lane. And they likened him to Ronald Reagan, who spent his downtime building fences and clearing scrub because this gentleman spends his time in the garden. And of course, gardening is great because it teaches patience and humility and a deeper understanding of the natural world. It keeps you grounded. Weeds, algae, leaking ponds, and freak storms. It says all of these things take care of hubris. Anyway, I love this little post. And it was shared in the Washington Post at the end of March. In the dream guest segment this week are two folks. The first is Rich Santoro. He's known as the Bulb Guy. And I stumbled on an article of him opening up a San Jose garden. And Rich is a passionate gardener. I love that. And then Grist shared a wonderful article about Marianne Couffon, who's known as the Fixer. She's an urban farmer who grows in tight spaces in Louisiana, in New Orleans. And in 2009, she built what she describes as a recirculating farm on a half-acre plot in the middle of New Orleans. So she set up floating rafts and towers to grow plants. She primarily grows tomatoes, cucumbers, lettuces, strawberries in closely packed various arrangements around hand-dug rubber-lined fish ponds. And then water cycles between the pond and the plants so that nutrients from the fish waste fertilize the plants and then the plants filter the water. Anyway, her work is super inspiring, and that's why I put her in the dream guest segment this week. In Science This Week is a 
fun article all about bird nests. This was an article I found on the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service website, and it's simply called Fun Facts About Bird Nests, and it's loaded with them. This would be a great article to read with kids, and it contains tons of fun facts, such as the ruby-throated hummingbirds have nests about the size of a thimble. Really cool information in this one. In the shopping segment this week, I stumbled on these indigo rose tomato seeds that you can get from seattleseed.com. And Josie Marin of Josie Marin Cosmetics absolutely loves these tomatoes. So these would be something to try. And then that wonderful DIY site I found called La Vie Rustique sells a year-round potager garden seed set. It's $36. And you can find her shop on her website. And this is a nice little seed starting set if you're interested in growing a kitchen garden this year. There were a number of posts that made it into the inspiration segment this week. The one that stole my heart was about gardener Rosie Bowes. And she talks about the evolution of her garden. And this was shared in The Guardian. And it was a piece that was written by Kendra Wilson. And she said, when we first visited, I couldn't see the kitchen garden, but I was desperate to have it. And I loved that quote because it talks about the importance of having a vision for your garden. And in one of my upcoming episodes, that's one of the things we're going to be talking about when it comes to garden design. You've got to have a vision. And then also in this inspiration segment this week was a video I stumbled on called How Forests Heal People. It's a great little video, and it talks about the magical healing powers of nature and how important it is to find ways to reconnect with nature through stories, films, and walks. Anyway, if you head on over to the Facebook group, I hope that you give it a look. It's a really nice video, and it explores the fascinating forests that are shared in the film and then the inspiring stories of healing from nature. It's actually pretty relaxing. And then Out of Australia was another super inspiring piece. It was about an artist's magical garden, and the artist's name is Trisha October. This is truly a spectacular garden. Trisha has a passion for rare, cool climate plants. She's got tons of containers, tons of succulents, and the space is just absolutely brimming over with plant material. This one you have to check out. It's a great way to start your week. It's a great way to get inspired for your spring garden by looking at Trisha October's garden. Finally, there were three posts that caught my attention in recipes this week. The first was offered up by the Washington Post, and it says, Cook your way through spring with these five main ingredients. It's by Julia Tertian, and it features eggs, rhubarb, peas, asparagus, and crab. Lots of great ideas on how to use these ingredients. Very inspiring. Then the localpalette.com shared a recipe for spring pea hummus. And you start by using three cups of shelled fresh English peas or baby butter beans, and you go from there. Oh my gosh, you guys, this looks so amazing. And then finally, Epicurious posted this great article toward the end of March, and it was simply called What to Cook for the First Week of Spring. Anyway, I thought these ideas were so great. I think you can use them all year long but you'll especially enjoy them this spring with some fresh ingredients from your garden. 
Anyway, that's it for the Garden News Roundup this week. Just remember, you can find all of these posts in the Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast Group on Facebook. So no need to take notes, no need to try to Google search all of this stuff. It's all right there for you to just scroll through and read at your leisure. And then don't forget that once you're a member of the group, there are also some great benefits, including quality content, because there are great posts from listeners as well. In fact, listener Danny Perkins just recently shared some pictures from his visit to a public garden in Raleigh. And especially fantastic were pictures and videos that he posted of this orange native azalea that was almost too beautiful to be believed. It almost looked absolutely surreal. It was gorgeous. And then don't forget that guests that are on the show are often in the Facebook group as well. In fact, guest of the show Katie Dubow of the Garden Media Group was featured back in episode 546, and she was talking about the 2017 garden trends. And this week, she shared a preview of the 2018 Garden Trends Report. So she gave us a little sneak peek, and a couple of things that she said caught my attention. The first is how moss is going to continue to be a key player in the garden industry in 2018. And then another one that I loved is she has this one that's called Unicorn is the New Black. So apparently the unicorn trend that is so prominent in the fashion, food, and beauty industry is now crossing over into the garden and the kitchen. So the point here is that your food shouldn't just taste good. It should look good, too. So you're going to see more eating of the rainbow That involves having a very vibrant, edible garden. And then I loved what Katie did. She shared this super inspiring Instagram post from the Indigo Kitchen that showed how to make an amazingly vibrant plate of food. And one of the easiest ways to do it is to dye noodles using dyes from food like purple cabbage. And the picture she showed from the Indigo Kitchen was just absolutely amazing. The noodles are dyed blue and then purple. The plate literally has all the colors of the rainbow and totally embodies that unicorn trend. So it's super cool. In any case, head on over to the Facebook group, click to join. I'd love to see you in the group this week. Well, before I intro today's guest and the show for today... I have to tell you that my last three episodes I batch produced because I was anticipating that I was going to have my rotator cuff surgery and that this would be my first week back after having my recovery and hopefully feeling well enough to record a brand new episode. And here's what happened to me. I was completely set. I had the dog at the kennel. I had my cleaning lady lined up to come in a few extra times to help. I had my folks at a hotel so that they could help get the kids off to school. I had my house completely spick and span clean, and I was all set to have rotator cuff surgery and then have about a six-week time frame in a sling and then begin the path back to health by the time June rolled around. And here's what happened. It's like 6.30 in the morning. My husband and I had gotten up at 5.30 and we're heading down 
to the place where I'm going to have the surgery, where I'm going to have the procedure. And when I walked in on the third floor, the surgery scheduler is behind the desk and I gave her my name and she said, guess what? No surgery today. Your doctor is sick. Ugh. It was such a letdown. And I've been telling people that it kind of took the wind out of my sails the first week. And then the second week, I felt like it kind of blew me off course because I had to all of a sudden readjust, recalibrate what I was doing, and then kind of redo everything, including getting myself psyched up for surgery. And now that it's going to be happening later in April, I'm starting to realize that I am going to need more help in my garden this year because I'm going to have such limited ability to get out there and do the work required to make it look great and to take care of it. So really, it's a perfect lead up to the topic of today's episode, which is getting help in your garden. So if you're like me and you're needing to find help in your garden this year, or if you've tried to find neighbor kids or local students to help you out and it's just not come together, I'm sharing my tips with you today because over the years, I've worked with lots of kids, including my own, to help me in the garden. And this year, because I have to have my surgery now at a later date and it's going to put me smack dab in prime working time in my garden, I will be needing help again. So how can you find good garden help? And what's the best way to train kids to help you in the garden? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I'm doing this with Jenny Prince of American Meadows. But first, I want to give you a little backstory. So last summer, I was at the Garden Bloggers Conference, and I was sitting at a table with Jenny Prince from American Meadows. And this topic came up of getting help in the garden. I don't know, I can't remember why that came up, but it did. And I started to share some of the things that I've done over the years for how to take care of a garden with the help of young gardeners, with the help of students, with the help of kids. And Jenny just loved our conversation. So we are basically today doing a do-over of our chat over dinner that evening. And instead of me interviewing Jenny, she's interviewing me, and just like she did that night. And we're going to talk about how to find students and train them in order to stay on top of your garden this year. Now, Jenny is a brand manager at American Meadows, and I know she's also done great work on natural pest control. So if you're looking for help in that area, Jenny would be a wonderful resource. She's also an advocate for high bricks gardening, which means that she's growing fruits and vegetables with more nutrients per calorie. And she teaches this process and she shares her passion for this topic on her website at jennygrows.com. Anyway, Jenny's like me. We both love gardening. And yet, for as much as we love gardening, sometimes the workload can get overwhelming. And whether it's just a sheer amount of workload overload or an injury or health reasons that prevent you from getting out into the garden as much as you'd like to, like my shoulder surgery this year. Jenny and I both agree that talking about this topic, getting help in the garden, 
is something that most gardeners are very interested in, even if they won't admit it out loud. But I say there's no shame in getting help in your garden. And so I'm very excited to have this conversation again with Jenny and to share it with you today. Now, there are two things I want to bring your attention to before we start this episode, and they are both generous opportunities. The first is that they are offering a Botanic Garden Getaway Contest. So it's a chance to win an all-expense-paid trip for two to the Botanic Garden of your choice. So American Meadows has partnered with High Country Gardens, and they're just celebrating their love of plants by giving away a trip for two to one of our nation's botanic gardens. So the contest ends April 30th. Just head on over to American Meadows and enter to win. And by the way, they're giving away $50 gift certificates that are awarded weekly as well. So go ahead and check that out. And then American Meadows had a special offer for listeners of today's show. So they will give listeners of the show $10 off any $40 or more order. And all you have to do is use the coupon code STILLGROWING17, all one word, all caps. So you'll get $10 off any order of $40 or more. And that offer is good through May 31st of 2017. So anyway, thank you to American Meadows for that generous offer. That's fantastic. All right, I won't keep you in suspense any longer. Here's Jenny Prince. We're talking about getting help in your garden this year. Let's roll. Hi, Jennifer. Hey, Jenny. How do you like being in the, in the hot seat? Well, it's a little different, isn't it? <laughs> I bet it is. Yep. Well, thank you for letting me uh, put you in the hot seat and, and take a turn here, but we met this summer at the Minneapolis Garden Blogger Sling, and right. I was lucky enough to be sitting at the same table as you for, I think we, we basically had an event dinner. It's kind yes. of like the, the big dinner that they put on. Yep. At the Minnesota State Arboretum, is that right? That's right. It was at the Arboretum, and Peggy Ann Montgomery was the keynote speaker that night. That's right. She did a fantastic talk um, from American Beauties, right? Yes. So anyhow, there were probably maybe, I'd say, eight of us sitting around a table, and you started telling a story, and by the end of it, nobody was talking. Everyone was hanging on your every word, and it was just a, a really fascinating subject to me personally and something that I knew that our customers at American Meadows would really want to hear about. Yes, so, getting the help you need in the garden. Getting the help you need in the garden because everyone is always looking for sort of like an easy fix in the garden and low maintenance and what's easy. And I am not sure that I believe that that's always 100% attainable. Yeah. I don't even know that it's 50% attainable. Mm-hmm. I think that gardening requires effort. And sometimes there's great solutions. Like if you want to replace your lawn or something with low mow or no mow grass or some sort of wildflower seeds. But generally, if you put plants in the ground, you have to water them and weed them and deadhead them and really pay some attention, right? Yes. Yep. So, yeah, I was, I was hoping to share your, your story. I was hoping you would share your story with your audience from your point of view. Well, my um, pleasure. Excellent. The first question that I have for you is what made you know that you even needed help in the garden? Two words for kids. 
<laughs> I have four children and I had four kids in five years. So I wow. had, yep. So I started gardening the minute we moved to this house and I was uh, a brand new mom. My son was probably four months old. Uh, we moved into the house the week he'd been born. But by the time he was four months old, it was April. And I was starting to think about gardening at this house. And in our previous house, we had planted a lot of shrubs and we had landscaped all around the house. But that was a house that had already been built and it was landscaped with landscape rock all over. And my husband and I had about killed ourselves. We put a retaining wall in and we moved a lot of the rock out and we washed the rock and then we put the rock back. And And after that whole experience, I was longing for a flower garden and I was longing for uh, compost. I didn't want to have landscape rock around my house anymore. It's, it's fantastic. It's maintenance-free. And as luck would have it, we sold that house to my parents. So they're still there. And it is the best-looking landscaped house on the street. You know, 17 years later, it still looks fantastic. But it wasn't the kind of gardening that I wanted to do. So when April came, I was already going to a local nursery, and they had kids. And so I hired their kids to come and dig out the backfill around the front porch. They dug it down six inches and we put in beautiful soil that I could plant in and start with this garden. So that was my first garden and that lasted about a couple of years. And then I had a couple of more kids and next thing you know, the gardens are going all around the house, literally around the house. When you first um, had the kids come from the garden center or the nursery where you bought your first set of plants, were they literally their children or were they teenagers that were working at the garden center? They were literally their kids, but I'm sure they were also put to work <laughs> in the garden center. Right, <laughs> you know, right. they were they were employed. This was mom and dad's business. So, and I, you know, just had had a baby or I was having a baby. And so I knew I wasn't going to be digging out that garden, especially after working at our last house with the landscape right. rock. In fact, when we had done that last job, we had had it. We had started that project on Memorial Day and we built a 40-foot long, uh, well, probably 80-foot long retaining wall, about four feet high. And we walked downstairs. It was a split-level house, and we're laying on the basement floor because it was the coolest place to be. And I looked at him, and I said, what were we fighting about? He goes, I don't know, but I can tell you this. We're never doing something like this again. We're going to hire it done. And so I knew when it came time to dig that garden out, to dig that front Uh, bed in front of the porch. Just imagine a a classic flower bed in front of a front porch that I was going to have, you know, kids or somebody come and dig it out because I wasn't going to do it. Happy to plant it, but definitely not going to do the the big time labor anymore. And so that's really what started it. And then, you know, when the swing set got put in the back, well, then I needed to be in the back. So I thought, well, I'll put a garden in the back because then when the kids are on the swing set and they're playing in the sandbox, I can be gardening. Well, then the side of the house had more shade. So I thought, well, I'll put a shade garden in here. And then when we're over here doing our picnic and we're, you know, we're playing uh, catch or whatever we're doing, I'll have a little garden here and I can have the garden on this side. Next thing you know, 
the garden is literally wrapped around the house. And so when you get a lot of gardens, well, even little gardens, you know, like you said, they all need maintenance. And sometimes, you know, what are they, what's the saying? Gardeners dream bigger dreams than emperors. You know, I think we want to be out there. We have all the intentions in the world of giving it, you know, 100% of our intention and, attention and care. And then sometimes just the constraints of life, whether it's your own health yeah. or just the demands that you're facing, you can't attend to it all, even though you want to. So I think getting help yeah. is a is a great way to, you know, take care of something that you really love. Right. So um, your kids were super little back then, but how old are they now? Uh, so my kids right now are, uh, by January, they'll be 17, 15, 13, and 11. So we are in the throes of teenager <laughs> right now. Right. And what you're um, about to go into is about how you are having teenage student helpers in the garden. And so at the swing dinner, all of us were like, but you have teenagers. Don't you have your teenagers helping in your garden? Yes, uh, I don't. You know, for the most part, I don't make them work in the garden because I feel like this is my hobby and passion. And just because I love it doesn't mean that they have to help me take care of it. You know, I separate the garden from, for instance, taking care of the house. Uh, you know, in the house, the kids work a lot. They help a lot. They have a lot of responsibilities. Uh, we have regular family meetings. And they know that every day they have things that they've got to do to help with the house. There's four of them, one of me, uh, throwing the dog and my husband, and there's a lot of stuff that needs to get taken care of. And so uh, they do help. Uh, it's not, not that they don't help. But when it comes to the garden, my garden is so big, and it's my passion. So I don't make them assist in that way. You know, every now and then they'll find me in the garden, and if they want to garden with me, they know where the gloves are, and I certainly have extra tools, and and they can take care of it. And they each have their own way of doing that. You know, Will, my oldest, mows our lawn. That makes him happy. We don't have much of a lawn, unfortunately. I think Will would love to have <laughs> acres and acres of a front lawn, but, you know, like most gardeners out there, I have the smallest, teeniest strip of lawn, I think, in the whole you know, division that we live in here in Maple Grove. And so he's done mowing in about seven minutes, but that's what he does. He loves to mow the lawn. He loves to edge. He makes it look great every day. And he's wanted to mow the lawn since he was two years old. So that's perfect for him. And then uh, my daughter, Emma, is a very uh, studious and intent person. And so when she gardens, she will usually sit by me and she'll pick out a very small patch and then she'll just very slowly, calmly weed that patch and it will look perfect. But it's maybe, you know, when you talk about uh, square foot gardening, it's maybe two square feet. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so we're not going to go that out. That actually sounds, <laughs> that sounds like my approach as well. Yeah, It takes me forever and that's like the fun <laughs> part, but I get nothing done. Yeah. So we're not going to conquer the garden that way, but we have our time together that way. And then John, my youngest, probably enjoys it the most. He, he'll do whatever we're doing. He likes <laughs> plant. He likes to harvest radish. He, you know, he does a lot of different things out there, but he's, you know, again, he's operating kind of at his own speed and he'll lose interest. You know, he's, he's uh, 11, you know, so uh, he likes it. I can see him being a gardener later on in life, but right now he's a little mm -hmm. kid. Uh, and then PJ, you know, my third, he likes it and he likes that I have, 
you know, a, a hobby that I like. He, he he constantly comments, oh, you know, are you in your garden today, mom? I'm, I'm so glad that makes you happy. Or are you doing your podcast today, mom? You know, so he's he connects nice. with it, but it's not, again, it's not his thing. Basketball's his thing. So that's mm-hmm. why I don't make my own kids uh, take care of the garden because um, it's my passion. So if I want it taken care of in a certain way, and I'm not capable of doing that with all the demands, then I knew that I needed to figure out a way to get help. Right. So uh, the other thing I remember is that the very next day, which was a Sunday, we were all going to continue on some garden tours, but you weren't able to join us because you actually were hosting a garden tour at your house. Yes. So sometimes you have like special occasion uh probably need a little bit more help sprucing things up because it's a it's an event. Um, and, and I was reading on your your blog that you actually are hosting like every Friday night or every other Friday night small groups in your garden. Yep, I do small groups in my garden and it's it forces me to, I guess, uh, continue my own gardening education. I mean, the podcast is great for that because I feel like I can have little mini conferences that I don't have to leave the house, leave the kids. I can stay here, talk to an expert, and not only help others learn and grow, but help myself learn and grow. So I love that. But I also like to uh, be in my garden with you know friends and people in Maple Grove right here that like gardening. So I do evenings in the garden. I do a little series like that, and it's very small. I usually have three to seven people um, most of the time, and we're doing everything from you know doing a book club together. We did the Marta McDowell, uh, all the presidents' garden together. Um, we we're doing. Um, uh, botanical Latin together, <laughs> little little far fetched oh there, but we're trying these things, and it's life giving to me. So it's fun. It's um, you know, I don't do it every Friday, but it's it's a seasonal thing, and I'll pick a handful. You know, maybe six different Fridays in the fall, and six different Fridays in the in the spring and summer, and that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So because you sometimes are inviting people to the garden, does that sort of change the schedule of how often you need help? You know, really, uh, when I look at uh, getting help in the garden, I just base it off of my own availability and then the availability of the kids to come and help me. Um, And I have a very fluid uh, schedule. And they do too, because most of the kids that help me are in sports or different activities. I may see them once or twice in a year, and that's it. I may see them 10 times in a year. Um, so it really depends. And, and you know, it depends on my availability too, because, you know, my own kids have camps and activities in the summertime, and then uh, school hits, and all of the schedules change again. So I think the scheduling tool that I use is a is a huge help uh, for getting help in the garden. And, um, you know, really, it puts the onus on them because if they want to work, they can look at the schedule and say, oh, you know, Jennifer would like help on, you know, Friday or Tuesday or Thursday. And if they want to sign up, they can sign up. And then I'll get a little notice and it, it'll say, yeah, you got uh, two of the seven kids you invited are coming today to help you in the garden. And then I'll know, uh, you know, what I've got in terms of help coming to the garden. And what happens if it rains or something like that? Well, that's the other thing. I, I tell all the kids is if you look outside your window and it's pouring rain, don't bother coming. 
well, that'll work. And then they just go back and sign up all over again. Yep. They just go back and sign up all over again. Yep. Okay. And do you mind telling what your system is? I don't at all. So what I do is I use Calendly. It's a online scheduling software and you basically go through and pick the times that you're available. So for student gardeners, I would do that, you know, week by week or month by month, depending on, you know, how much work needs to get done. And I'll say, oh, you know, I, I could definitely garden on Friday. Uh, so Friday after school, if you want to come over here, uh, let's garden from three to six. And then I'll send that invitation out. And if they want to garden, they can. And if they don't, they don't have to. Um, but when they sign up, I'll get a notice that says, you know, Bob signed up and then I'll know that he's coming. And then it automatically not only goes on my calendar, but it goes on his calendar. And the greatest part about okay. it is that let's say Bob has a test or Bob decides he wants to go up with his family for the weekend. Well, he can hit cancel or reschedule right there. And he doesn't have to call me. It's not a big to do. It's just very easy to get on and off that schedule. That's really nice because I remember as a teenager, like having to contact an adult and not be able to show up would have been mortifying. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I think for Um, kids, you know, kids needs, kids need flexibility. Now, a lot of people are probably going, well, how do you ever get anybody to help you if there's this amount of flexibility? I think the key for me has been to cast a wide net. So Mm -hmm. I will tap into, you know, I used to be a piano teacher for years, and then I got to know people in the community. And so now that those kids are older, I can, you know, tap into kids that I know are good kids. And then I'll always say to them, hey, do you have a friend? Do you have anybody else that you would know that would want to, you know, maybe help me out in the garden a couple of times? And what they'll do is they'll refer their friends. And next thing you know, I'm blasting this out to, you know, 10 people and nobody likes to work alone. And I prefer it if they're working in teams because they get more done. So uh, for the most part, when I you know, send, uh, you know, the calendar out on the days that it works, I'll usually have, you know, two to four kids coming over uh, so that, you know, the work gets done, you know, what is it, many hands, happy work kind of a thing. So, yeah, so -hmm. that's the approach. So so it's kind of clear to them that, like, you know, you're sending it to everyone, but you're looking for X number of, of bodies to come over that day. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's usually, you know, if, if someone's going to start helping me in the garden, that's usually how it happens is they'll show up with a friend and then I'll say, hey, you know, nice to meet you. Definitely, you know, welcome. Um, great to see you. I always ask them to bring their own garden gloves. That's the only thing they have to bring because I have all the tools and the equipment, but, you know, gloves are tough. So they have a basket in the garage. They keep their gloves there if they want or they can bring them with them. Um, but they can, uh, you know, bring their own gloves and then they uh, they get trained and certified in different areas of the garden as they're going. And especially when they're working with, you know, someone, it just makes the work go faster because they can kind of group coach each other and um, I don't know there's just a greater um, sharing of knowledge and and time together so it goes really fast they get a lot done yeah I was a farmhand for a few seasons and that that synergy really just makes everything so much more enjoyable yes you know in contrast I've got a lot of friends you know that hire try to hire a high school kid to work for them 
And Mm -hmm. invariably I'll hear, oh, this just isn't working out. They can't come Uh, when they work, you know, they're slow or they don't get it done right. Um, And they're just overall kind of dissatisfied. So I think my approach is different. I don't lay it at the feet of one person. You know, I don't lay it at my own feet. It's a lot of work. So if I'm going to get help, I think it's just much more fun to break it into a manageable um, level of tasks and spreading it across a group is what works for me. Now, you said that they get trained and certified. Yes. <laughs> is, that, is that what you call yeah. it? So I was going to ask you if you just set them loose or how, like, it's like I have passed weeding 101 and now I'm allowed to weed <laughs> That's not right. next to you? Or? Well, I think, of a, I think of the gardens as um, little zones. And really, I suppose I've... I've um, attach them to the sprinkler zones around the house because I have five zones. But that, you know, once they've gardened in a particular zone, they know all the things that happen in that zone. Um, oh, in this area, you've got to watch for Creeping Charlie. In this area, we do more weeding. Um, in this area, there's fountains that have to be maintained. And here's what that looks like. So, um, you know, the first step would be training and certifying them in weeding, for instance, in this particular bed. And I'll train them on, here's what you're looking for. You know, I don't just go out there and say, hey, weed. I actually go there with them. You know, I'll pull it. I'll have them smell it. I'll have them show me where else it is. Show me where else it is. Where else do you see this weed? You know, we talk about how weeds camouflage themselves because weeds are survivors. So they they try to look like the plants that they're growing by. And so, you know, that's a fun game to play with them. Or, you know, I'll take the opportunity to teach them about other plants. So, for instance, oh, this is mint. It's got the square stem. Um, we talk about editing. So I always train them to step back and think about like, you know, when you're decorating the Christmas tree and you're putting the lights on and then you stand back and you squint to try to see, okay, where's the spot that I'm missing the lights? Um, I have the kids do the same thing in the garden. I'll say, stand back and now look at that garden and, you know, what looks shaggy? What looks like it's a thug and needs to come out? What looks too big? Um, and, or what looks too tall. And those are the tips that I think really help them because when you're training them to use their own good judgment and everybody has good judgment, then I think they become not only good helpers, but they're future gardeners. They're, they're people that are going to garden. And, and I can tell pretty quickly if they're going to be gardeners. I love that. Cause it's like, they're not just there to work. It's like you just gave them some buy-in because they're part of the decision-making. So if it looks good, then they they were part of that and they can kind of have a little ownership of the good outcome. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the other thing that I, I mentioned briefly was fountains, but that happens to be the area of the garden that I think the kids fight over the most because they get trained and certified in fountain repair and maintenance. So <laughs> this sounds crazy, but I buy almost all of my fountains on Craigslist. And then really? I yep, and then I get them home and fountains are great because everybody gives up on fountains eventually. They can't keep the water going. Um, they can't figure out how to replace the pump or they can't get the pump to work right. And uh, it doesn't matter if they've spent a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks. If the darn thing isn't working and it's not bringing you joy, they're going to sell that baby on Craigslist sooner or later because it takes up a lot of space. <laughs> 
And so I love getting, you know, fountains. And we live in Minnesota. They eventually crack or, you know, something happens to them. So, uh, you know, every couple of years I'll get a fountain. But, you know, I probably have seven or eight fountains, you know, around the house, different fountains. And so I have a toolbox that's full of, you know, fountain parts. And I teach the kids all about drip irrigation. You know, I always tell them it's just like Legos. And we go around and they learn all of that. Well, if there is uh, an opportunity to work with a fountain or, you know, weed or prune or something, I tell you what, they're going to be fighting over the fountain work. (laughs) That's what they're going to want to do. They get really passionate about it. But, you know, it's exciting to them. They learn about, you know, repairing fountains. They learn about um, how water... Um, because all of my fountains are automatically refilled by the irrigation system. And so, for instance, they learn that when you bring a drip tube up to a fountain and you're going to put it into that basin so that the fountain can refill, the drip tube cannot be submerged in the water because what will happen is after the irrigation system is done filling the fountain, there's a suction process that happens. So the minute it's done filling, you'll walk by and say, oh my gosh, it's great. It's all filled. It's fresh water. It looks fantastic. And then two minutes later, you're going to walk by and all that water that was just in there is going to be gone. And you're going to feel like you're losing your mind. But what's happened (laughs) is there's a suction in the line. And when it's done filling, that suction kicks in. If that tubing is submerged below the water, it will literally suck it all back out just like a straw. The kids know that if they're going to bring tubing to a fountain, it has to be somehow attached to the edge of the fountain so that it can't fall below the water line. So, you know, they learn about zip tying it to the to the pump or they'll stake it next to the edge of the of the um water feature, or sometimes we snake it up inside and go way high with it and then just let it hang out there because the water, when it pours out, will just, you know, trickle down, kind of fountain down, irrigate down. So, you know, they're learning all those little tips, but they, you know, it's more than just I'm mindlessly weeding. You know, they have to think about these things. They have to troubleshoot. You know, if tubing is wrecked and we're out of tubing, well, you know, we got to go to Home Depot and get more tubing. Let's bring a a sample of that, you know, clip a little bit off and, you know, here we go. So um, I've got a lot of little tricks and techniques and things that I teach them about drip irrigation. And I think that's why they like it. It's, you know, it's math, it's uh, critical thinking skills, and, you know, that's exciting for them. It's more than just coming over to weed. Yeah, and it's cool to know stuff. So like having a little bit of training and becoming an expert in something, even if it's just fountains. Yes. <laughs> like, especially when there's a group of kids there and you're an expert on something, it's got to feel kind of good. Oh, it does. And then I always tell them, now you bring that back. You bring these skills back and you do something nice for your mother with this. Get her fountain working. <laughs> or, you know, bring yeah. some of this mint and put it in a pot for your mother and put it on the on the patio, you know. Um, and the, most of the <laughs> most of the guys will kind of smile and they go back. They don't say anything. And then you know, six months later or a year later, I'll have uh, some random woman coming up to me at a basketball game going, your mint was the best mint. I need to get more, you know. (laughs) You're getting in good with the parents, right? Yes. I remember when I was a kid, there was a Mexican restaurant that always had a sign on the door that was like, parents, 
if you can get your kids to wash dishes here, you will get a gift certificate for a free dinner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So how do you handle it if a kid is just not helpful? You know, I don't run into that too much, but every now and then, you know, um, there's somebody that's either just not a fit or, you know, they're not working. They're just not working hard. And, you know, I do my best to make the job as exciting as possible. You know, I have an Apple Watch, and I'll set it to go off every 15 minutes when I'm out there working with the kids. And I think that's the other thing is I'm working with them. So I don't have the kids in my garden just completely unsupervised doing whatever. I'm with them. I'm, you know, you know, working beside them. I'll, you know, I'll go from one group to the next, or I'm getting something ready for the next task. But every time that watch dings... I'm switching tasks. So you're not in an area weeding for an hour. We all get Mm -hmm. tired. You get tired eyes too. I mean, there'll be a weed right in front of you and you won't pull it because you don't even see it anymore. So um, I love doing, you know, two teams of two where one team will work in an area and then I'll have another team rotate through. Okay, go through that area one more time. Do you see anything that they missed? And invariably they do because, you know, that's just the way it is with gardening, you know, things hide or, or, you know, one thing that I'm very attentive to, you might not be, but you're attentive to other things. So you're getting all those good skills, you know, kind of being cross applied. Um, I had one instance where um, I had a, a student gardener that had showed up and just right off the bat, I knew that it probably wasn't going to be a good fit. He arrived barefoot. That's an issue because you can't be barefoot in the garden. And then um, the first couple of times that I, um, and I assigned him to work with one of my best student gardeners. So I knew that he was going to be side by side with somebody who is just a great kid. And every time I came to, you know, change tasks or talk to him about a new project, he's sitting down and the other kid's doing all the work. And so that day when that wrapped up and, you know, I usually have very short bursts. So they'll work maybe an hour or maybe two hours, maybe three hours tops. Um, So it's short bursts of time. It's not eight hours at a stretch. You know, they get tired. They have commitments. Nobody wants to work like that anymore. You know, kids just can't do it. They've got, you know, demanding lives. Um, So it's a short burst and it just wasn't going to work. And how I handle that is they don't get an invitation back. So it's not, um, you know, I don't need to have a conversation. I don't need to... um, you know, make a big production out of it. It's just, nope, that's not going to work. So, and if it's, you know, somebody's friend, then I'll say, well, you know what? I just don't think it's a fit. But if you have somebody else that you think would be a good fit, let's try them. Well, you're diplomatic. You have lots of mom experience. So (laughs) I think you you handle it well. Yeah. You know, I think from being an, an old HR person, I guess I'm a believer in that when you're hiring people, you want to hire people that are already bringing things to the table, you know, basic good things like work ethic and integrity, attentiveness, you know, things that it's just who they are. So if I have to train those in addition to irrigation and <laughs> weeding and, and right. you know, uh, all that, it's just, so for me, I do look for those things. And I will a lot of times send a message to the parents 
and I'll be like, I loved working with your son today. He Every time I gave instructions, he's got great eye contact and he's smiling and nodding. I know he understands what I'm asking him to do. Um, and And parents like that, but kids like that too, because there's so many jobs nowadays where they have no idea. You know, you're just sending your kids out into the universe and you don't know if they're a good worker or not. I mean, yes, they continue right. to, you know, to show up and they're getting higher, but you just don't have that sense like you do when they're in school. Oh, they're getting an A, they're attending every class. It's very clear that they're doing well. In the workplace, it's kind of nebulous. You know, you don't know, are they doing well? Or are they not? You do know if they like it. You know, the thing for me with having the kids sign up is I'm assuming that they like it because otherwise, why sign up? Right. And also, you know, the parents, it's probably really nice for them to know that their their kids are appreciated. Yes. You know, not just that they're being treated fairly, but that someone's noticing that, you know, they're doing a good job. Well, they like that, you know, it's a safe environment. <laughs> they like that they get coaching. They're learning something. They're learning life skills. They're learning how to work together. You know, if we got to move a big boulder and there's four kids on the property, they're going to have to work together or it's kind of rock, paper, scissors. Who's moving that boulder? But somehow it gets done. So they have to learn a lot of different things. You know, I think when I talk to the kids about what they appreciate most is, number one, they always leave here knowing that there's going to be a schedule coming out. So they never leave here thinking, oh man, am I ever going to see her again? And I think that sometimes happens when you're trying to help someone in the garden, you know, you you have this big marathon day and then you never hear from them again or you hear from them again in right. three months. That doesn't happen here. I'll say, oh, yeah, I'll put two hours on the schedule in two weeks or, you know, definitely come back on Saturday. I'm in a garden tour, that kind of a thing. So they always mm-hmm. know when they're coming back. And then the other thing is, is they always get feedback from me. So they never are doing something in the garden and not hearing back from me about how they're doing. They're getting constant feedback. And it's not just at the very end, after three hours of working. It's all along. So it's, oh my gosh, you guys did a great job in this area. Who pulled the biggest weed? You know, Or it's, wow, look at that fountain. Everybody whip out your phones, take a picture of it, show your parents, show them what you got working today, and then send <laughs> me the picture because I like to have pictures of my fountains working too. And you know, <laughs> we don't always have our camera out. You know, that's the other thing I'll do is at the end of their shift, we end always 10 minutes early and I'll say, get your cameras out. You've got to go take, you know, 20 pictures in the garden. I don't care what you take a picture of. You can do, you know, close-ups or wide shots. Sometimes I'll have to say to them, everybody take wide shots because sometimes everybody will just take close-ups and then all you're seeing are like these huge flowers, you know, taking up the entire picture and you have no idea where they're coming at. Uh, or where they're from in the garden. So sometimes I'll say, you know, make sure you do like 10 pictures of close-ups and 10 pictures of, of um, you know, wide shots. I remember one time <laughs> I had this uh, guy, sweet little guy, and he, he uh, we had been loading up the, the garbage can all day with different, you know, garbage from the back. And, and uh, he opened up the garbage can and took a picture inside the garbage can. <laughs> And I said, okay, that's, I don't need to see that. Let's not do that. So let's just focus on the garden. So, I mean, they're kids. If you give them instruction, they will sometimes follow it so to the letter that when you get back, you know, what their work product is, you you just have to laugh at yourself because it's clear that you haven't been clear enough. 
You know, one time, right. yeah, one time we were uh, we, we were doing fall cleanup, and uh, there was a hockey, a bunch of hockey boys that had come over. This was like a total one-off thing, but I needed some fall cleanup done, and these four hockey boys were available that afternoon. I said, fine, come on over. So I told them, I said, I want you to go in the back along the fence because I never get this bed cleaned out in time in the spring. And then I've got stuff growing up and I got stuff I should cut down. It's just a disaster. And I want that fence line cleared off. So I said, I want you to take everything to the ground, take it to the ground. Well, I didn't, in my wildest dreams, I did not imagine that they were going to cut my 12-year-old grapevines down to the ground. (laughs) And that summer, those grapevines had just started going not only down the fence, but up and over an arbor. So you'd walk, walk through the arbor, and there were these beautiful climbing roses on one side, and then down the other side were all these cascading grapes. I mean, it was just a sick, sick fantasy that, that, that this had finally happened, right? It's like, oh my gosh, you know, just nauseating for, you know, friends and family to come through and see this arbor like this. Well, I'll be darned if I didn't come down and look at that back fence line and it was all taken down to the ground, including all the grapes. They were gone. So, you know, we get a lot of emails like that at American Meadows, a lot of heartbreaking stories yes. about, usually it's someone's husband that, that cut the wrong perennial or some like yes. long awaited yep. flower. It's really pretty horrible. Yep. And what can yeah. you do? You know, it's like when you have a babysitter and, and you ask the babysitter to throw a load of laundry in and your favorite shirt's in there and you don't realize it. And then you come back and they did the laundry and your favorite shirt is, you know, the size of a postage stamp. There's not much you can do. Right. I mean, you just kind of... You, you kind of want to cry and then you kind of laugh because you're like, okay, you know, hey, it's a, another, it's that I'm holding that mirror up. That's exactly what I told them to do. They did exactly what I told them mm-hmm. to do. So um, I just, I just remember we were sitting in church the following spring. So this was in the fall. And by spring, we're sitting in church and the pastor is uh, giving his homily and he's up there saying how he and his wife had just Uh, celebrated a big anniversary, and they'd gone to Napa Valley. And the vintner had taken them through the grape, grape, uh, or the vineyard. And he's telling them how every three years, they do a severe prune on the grapes and the vines. (laughs) And I'm sitting there, I'm going, really? And uh, this vintner had apparently told them that the grapes will come back even stronger, and I'll be darned right. if that's not what they did. That's exactly what they did. And so here it had taken me 12 years to get them to go up and along the fence and then up and over this arbor. I mean, it's like 40 feet distance that these vines had traveled. And in that single summer after being pruned, they did what it had taken them 12 years to do before. And by, by wow. fall, they were fully back. And so now uh, when I tell the kids, yeah, go cut that back all the way down, I don't even worry because I know that if they if I get somebody super industrious and is going to chop those grapevines down, I mean, some of those vines are like little tree trunks, you know? I mean, it's incredible to me that that they went at it, but they did. And so it's just another great, great reminder that I think you have to be compassionate and understanding when you're working with kids and you should take the opportunity right. to teach them. You know, they're the future gardeners. Right. Yeah. Well, you all learned something that day, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Um, 
I am curious because you're talking about hockey boys, if you notice a difference between how boys and girls work. Well, I have both boys and girls um, that help me or and have helped me through the years. And, you know, one thing I'll say is I usually try to separate them because um, it's boys and girls and they're teenagers. And uh, (laughs) not that they're going to start making out furiously in the garden, (laughs) but it's just that, you know, they might not be quite as focused on what they're doing. So I'll put the boys usually together and I'll put the girls together unless they're brother and sister. I had that this summer uh, right before that garden tour. I had a brother and sister come. And then sometimes I'll say, hey, is anybody dating in this group that I should know about? Just, you know, kind of to know. But um, they're, you know, for the most part, uh, you know, I just, I've never had any issues with, you know, conduct or behavior in the garden. I think boys, you know, uh, in my experience, the boys are very, you know, they want to do, um, you know, the plumbing, the the irrigation. They want to fix something. Um, mm-hmm. They they like being uh, given like a handyman job or, you know, fix right, that birdhouse. Yeah, a little bit. You know, not that the girls aren't, but, you know, I do, I suppose, um, separate tasks a little bit, but I, I feel like I'm separating them along strengths. So I'll always say, hey, is there anybody here artistic? Because I'd like a sign, you know, decorated, or I'd like this chalkboard done, you know, welcome to the garden tour, something like that. Um, and, you know, whether that's a guy or a gal, it doesn't matter to me as long as it gets done and it looks good. But I suppose a little bit. I, I suppose I tend to give some of the heavier jobs to the guys just because I know they've got the upper body strength and we need it. Mm-hmm. So uh, one time I bought a planter, a cement planter that has a, a solid concrete base that is probably three to four feet in diameter and about three to four feet tall, and then the big scalloped bowl that sits on top of it is probably six to seven feet across in diameter, and that is also made of concrete. Well, I tell you what, I found that on Craigslist for $50, and I'm like, I've got to have it. So I went there to go move it, and it was just, there was no way. And... The homeowner was a young family. They'd actually just moved in there. The previous owners had left it. Surprise, surprise. So um, I found eight guys, eight high school guys to help me move it. And I loaded up our minivan. And of course, you know, again, they've got to all wear gloves because the gloves are, you know, so key for everything that we're doing. And it took eight of them to move the big top. And we thought that was bad until we got to the base. The base was, I mean, oh my gosh, it was almost unmovable. So when we got to the house, I said, guess where this is going? (laughs) And they're kind of looking at me and I'm like, it's going right here at the edge of the driveway, (laughs) front of the property. Because I said, if I ever sell it, nobody is going to be able to move it, you know, anywhere, you know, beyond the, you know, the front of the property. It's just so big. And then, you know, when you live in Minnesota, you have to kind of think about snow cover. And I thought, Mm -hmm. oh man, I can just see someday the snowplow come through and clip this thing because, you know, it's there. It's right on the edge. But I have to say, I think it'll give the snowplow a run for its money. It is just... Right. I was thinking that too. (laughs) It's a I bought a, a fountain this summer and it's so heavy and my husband is so like 
irritated about it because to maintain it, you know, it, you really have to be thoughtful about where you put it. If you have to scrub it or clean it or move it, and I didn't pick a great spot, and it's it's become an issue for sure. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, a couple of things that, you know, I'll do is I do put a little bit of bleach in the water, especially when I first get it. If it's very dirty, I'll clean it that way. Um, but the other thing mm-hmm. is, since all of our fountains on, are on autofill with the water, the water just doesn't have a chance to get too um, gooky or or you know, yeah. clogged up Slimy. with algae. Yeah, because it's getting, yeah. you know, refilled with fresh water all of the time. So I think that really helps. Um, and then one of my tips oh. for um, fountains that have a lot of splash factor, because I think people forget about the splash factor and how that can, uh, you know, take water out of the fountain quickly. And of course, all my, my student gardeners are trained on this, is um, screening so if you take window screening, especially, well, you can get it in all different colors, but I like the black because a lot of times, you know, the bottoms of the fountains are pretty dark. But I will put that over the bottom of the fountain because that screening will capture little droplets and then it will just roll down the screening back into the basin instead of, you know, splashing wildly out of the fountain and then you right. have you know you have more water loss because you're going to have water loss through evaporation anyway um right. so it's you know the goal is to keep as much water in that fountain as you can i need to be trained and certified I, <laughs> yeah. think. <laughs> I have a little bit of work to do to understand how to make this beautiful fountain really function the way i want it to and I, i'm not i'm not there you're not there yeah. yet well, you know, the other no, thing, yeah, the other thing I tell, well, there you go. You know, the other thing, you know, I tell the kids is with, you know, seven or eight different fountains on the property, you do get really good at figuring out what you've got to do to make a fountain work and work right. Because there's all different kinds, there's all different setups, you know, some are better than others, you know, right away, I know that some will be easier. So it just really depends on, you know, what, how, what your fountain's like. Um, but when you have that many different varieties, they get very good at dealing with, you know, they figure out a solution for one and then that has a ripple effect and they can figure out something else for another. Yeah. It's, it's my first one. Um, and I'm hooked. I want more, but I want them to be easier to maintain because somehow it's just not, yeah. Like I, I just want birds to drink from it and it's so beautiful when they do, but then somehow it's like not strong. It's not, the flow is not as strong anymore or it got a little slimed up and the birds aren't there. So what's the point? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I have a little work to do. Yep. So the big fountain moving story or the planter moving story sounds like a pretty big deal. And my next question was going to be, what's the most amazing thing a kid has accomplished in your garden? But that maybe is it moving a, two-ton cement planter might be the most amazing thing. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you the most amazing thing to me is that um, I think it's when I can leave and they've worked with me enough times that they could take care of the garden as if I were there. Because I can leave and come back and the things that I've asked them to get done, get done. And they get done the way that I would have them be done. And that only happens if you're out there working side by side with kids over time. So even though I may only see someone, you know, six times in a summer, um, if they've worked with me six times and then, you know, let's say I have to take someone to basketball camp and I need XYZ done, 
Well, they're trained and certified, and they're given that autonomy to go and do that task. So they know where the trash bags are in the garage. They know not only where the trash bags are, they know where every tool is. They know where the the zip ties are. They know where the box cutters are. They know where the screwdrivers and the the handheld um, tools are in the garage. So um, everything has a place. They know where it all is. Um, they're given, you know, free access to the garage. They know, I mean, they're just given a lot of responsibility. So I treat them like they are fully capable and have good judgment and they exercise it. And I think it's great when they do that when you're not there because most of the time I am there. I'd say 90% of the time I'm right there with them. But there are a few times where, you know, I just can't be. And when I can you know, tell them to go through a zone or a particular garden and it all gets done. And and in fact, some things get done that I didn't even, you know, mention to them. Then I know that, you know, they're doing exactly what they should be doing on that job, which is, you know, learning and growing. You know, it strikes me that that really is amazing because there are so many times when I walk out the door in the morning to go to work. And if my husband is home, uh, I have to stop and say, hey, do me a favor, don't garden today. Like, <laughs> I don't want him to go in the garden when I'm not here because you just, it, it's not, it's not never a great outcome. Yeah. So I can appreciate that if you could just leave a teenager in your garden and know that they were going to do exactly what you would do, it would yeah. be a, really a kind of a godsend yeah. when you're desperate for help. Yes. Well, and you know, the other thing yeah. is, I think there's a lot of things that if you're, if you're doing it the right way, you're instilling a lot of self-pride in, you know, the kids. So the the little group of kids that I had helped me get ready for the garden tour this year, I'll be darned if they didn't show up with their parents. You know, garden tours tend to skew older. I, I won't mention numbers, but they tend to skew older and they tend to skew uh, more uh, toward women. And so here I am at this garden tour, you know, my house is on the garden tour and we have, you know, easily over 500 people coming through. And then here comes my student gardener with his mom and dad, you know, multiple examples of this. Now that only happens if he liked the job and he felt proud of what he did there. He felt Mm -hmm. like he had something to do with it, you know, (laughs) I think the other thing is, is I don't see any project in the garden unless it's something major, like we're going to put in a water feature, you know, which I had done this year. Um, I don't expect the kids to do those things, but um, I try to teach them all kinds of crazy things that they can then take home and apply in their own lives at some point. So whether it's, we're going to polymeric sand all of the you know, the um, stonework around the property. Well, here's polymeric sand. Here's how it works. Here's what you need to do. Okay, great. Now we got that done. All right. Now we're going to take all of the wicker that's on the property. And I ordered extra wicker uh, strips, or I don't even know what, what you call that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I taught the kids how to repair wicker furniture on the property. Mm-hmm. And then we paint that. And, you know, I didn't know how to repair a wicker chair. So I said, pull up your YouTube. Let's 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 look at a video and we'll watch how to repair a wicker chair. Okay, let's go. And and so it's the fact that they, when they show up, they never know, you know, what 
the project's going to be or what it is we'll be doing, but that it'll be something new and interesting. And for some of them, it might be the exact thing. They're just, you know, they could repair wicker furniture from now until the end of time or, or yay, we get to work on fountains or boo, all the fountains are working. I don't have to do anything. Um, I think the fact that I trust them with literally almost everything in the garden, you know, makes it, you know, something that they feel a lot of pride and ownership in. Um, and then all yeah. along, you know, I'm imparting to them, you know, the things that are important to me. You know, we don't use chemicals on the property. Now, why is that? Um, and then talking to them about why that is. You know, why are why do we have bird feeders up and there's no bird feed in the feeders, but we have all of these fountains? Well, it's probably because the birds need water in the summer more than they need bird feed in the summer or bird seed in the summer. So, you know, it's little things like that. And they maybe don't realize that they're, that I'm teaching them, but that's what I'm doing. And, you know, they're taking it in. They're little sponges. It's great. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm certainly sold. Like, I, I really want to try to do this because gardening is my own hobby and my husband is much more excited about it, but I do have a fairly large garden. Um, and now I have a nine to five job. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, you know, I feel like I planted something so wonderful that it's really hard for me to maintain. And my biggest issue is that I don't have any kids. So I feel like I don't really have any connections. Like it's hard for me to imagine how to start this. So I'm hoping that you can just give some last parting words, a piece of advice for people like me that want to try to experiment and put the system in play, but you know, I really need a starting point. Where to find kids? Well, I'll give you some of my secret spots for where to find okay. kids. <laughs> so I think the first thing that everybody should take advantage of is social media. And I think anytime you put the call out on social media, hey, I'm looking for student gardeners. Uh, parents will see that and they will immediately think, yes, that would be a great job because they know right away you're not a corporation. You're not going to expect them to be there from eight to five. But everybody thinks that their kid could be a student gardener. It's a pretty basic job for, you know, what most people think it is. Now, my job, I don't think, turns into a very basic job. I think my job is the job that I have the kids doing is very different. But they all go into it with the same initial expectation, which is, oh, they're going to go help her weed. And then it turns into so much more. So um, that would be you know, the first place that I would tell you to put out the call, because I think people are open to that kind of a job for kids, um, especially mm-hmm. if you put some parameters around it, like hey, this job will be five hours a week. Um, Or I'm super flexible on timing. It can be after school, before school, never on weekends, never in the rain. You know, let them know that you're a reasonable person and that um, you're open to having, you know, some some, a group of kids come over. Um, So even just changing your mentality from looking for one person to looking for a group of kids will, I think, open doors for you that maybe haven't been there before because when you're looking for just one person, you know, that doesn't sound as exciting to a kid. But if you say, hey, you and, you know, find two of your friends, come on over. Um, I don't think they'll let you down, especially if you're out there working with them. And if you know how to get them uh, engaged and motivated, I think you'll you'll be very happy with what they're able to do. Um, two other really great spots, I think, are um, cr- uh, 
track and field cross country kids. Uh, in my really? yeah, in my Why? experience, they Why? are. I don't know. I don't know what it is about cross country and track and field kids or Nordic ski kids, but um, they're not in the big demanding team sports like basketball, football, soccer, lacrosse. Um, they seem, oh. yep, they seem to be, yeah, they seem to be very good kids, uh, very in, good individual workers. Um, they have more availability for whatever reason. And, um, so you think it's, it's partially a scheduling thing that that particular sport isn't as heavily scheduled as football? Yeah, or they have the option to, they just have a little bit more control over their time. Um, you know, they, they're not going in for like a four hour practice, you know, like you might see with football by the time you include weightlifting and, and then actual practice or basketball. Um, so they seem to have a little bit more time. And then I just think it's something about the makeup of, of, um, that group of kids, why that sport appeals to them. And, um, it just, I always have great luck. So get to know your cross country coach because, that's a great group of kids to tap into, and you only need to get to know one. Um, so, all you it, like, let's say you were trying to tap into cross country. Well, put out a social media post and say, "Hey, is there anybody here that has a kid that's on the cross country team?" Boom, you're in. Same thing with band. Band kids are great. Band kids are usually they're fun loving. Um, I don't know. There's I, to me, there's always a connection between music and and nature. And so if they appreciate mu music, I just feel like it, it goes hand in glove. So I think band kids are great. I, you know, as a former piano teacher, I would call a piano teacher in my neighborhood. Piano teachers know, you know, good families, good kids that, you know, would be open to that, or at least give you a lead for, you know, one person. Um, and again, I think the, the secret is saying, um, who do you know? Can you give me three or four names? And, you know, kids these days have cell phones. So what I'll do is I'll hand in my iPad and I'll say, oh, type in their information here and I'll give them a call. Um, they've got all their information. They know their cell phone number. They know everything. Or I'll say, text me their number or, um, you know, bring them with next time. I don't care. Um, but you need the bodies to do the work. You, you know, you need to have uh, you know, people. So, you know, you don't just want to rely on one person. I just think there's so much more energy and creativity and excitement and fun and, and um, yeah, they just don't get as tired. They get more done. Um, and then if you're switching up tasks every 15 minutes, you know, they're learning and growing and you can switch up groups. Okay, you two were together. Now you two work together. Um, so there's all kinds of great things that you can do with um, you know, with groups of kids that I think you can uh, accomplish that you can't if you're just hiring one worker in your garden. Yeah, I was thinking about the um, band kids and the track and field or the distance runners. I was thinking also that what those two groups have in common is they have to have some amount of patience. Yeah, You know, like distance runners have to have endurance and obviously, you know, it's kind of a long race. But to learn an instrument, like you just can't really give up very quickly. So maybe they're just that that personality type is a good fit. Yeah. Now that's not to say I don't yeah. have kids that play, you know, basketball or football or what have you. But I, you just know going into it that their availability during certain times of the year is going to be really restricted, um, and that's okay if you have a team. 
you know, if I know that I've got a big football guy coming over and, you know, he's got muscles and he can move things, you know, in the back that, you know, maybe, you know, two smaller kids just would not be able to do. Well, then that's the day we're doing it because he's coming over. Um, right. And if, you know, if I'm, I'm in the garden and I've got, uh, you know, two girls that show up and they're kind of artsy. Well, guess what? That's the day we're going to redo all the garden markers and we're going to paint the signs and we're going to, you know, uh, you know, maybe touch up, do light repair on things. We're going to polyurethane some of the pottery because, you know, it's the little detail things or we're going to redo, you know, things that are in the birdcage fairy garden or we're going to stage the front porch together because, you know, girls love to do that, you know, stage things, uh, um, you know, I don't know, placement sometimes just even, or I'll say, go around the garden and look at the garden art. And is it, is it placed correctly? Do you think it needs to be moved, you know, flag things that need to be moved. And when the guys come through tomorrow, we'll be moving them, you know? So I, I think it's sometimes you have to be flexible yourself about, well, I have this whole list of things I want to get done this summer. I'm probably going to have, you know, kids come over maybe 10, 20 times, depending on your budget or or um, their availability. And you you have to look at that list and pick and choose and match the, the task to, you know, the help that you have at the time. So, you know, there have been a lot of times where it's like, I wanted to get XYZ done, but, you know, the people that I needed to come to do that, they weren't there. Um, or you have a big job that kind of nudges all the other jobs to the bottom of the list. So, you know, uh, two summers ago, we painted the fence. You know, it was like Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn back there every single time I had kids over. Well, guess what? Not a lot else got done because that fence needed to get painted. So, and I'd rather have the kids come and have them do it than have to go out there and do it myself or hire a painting crew and then get on a waiting list because it's hard to get painters. You know, they're usually two months out. And so, you know, I think it just depends. I think you've got to be flexible. I think you've got to match tasks to kids um, and, you know, get creative and, and no limits. They can do anything. And they'll be delighted if you give them a job that, you know, their own parents probably wouldn't give them because they think, oh, you know, they're not ready for that. They can't do that. So if you push that envelope and you uh, open that door for them, a lot of times, you know, they'll they'll come back and tell their parents and it's like a, a, a dose of cold water in the face to the parents saying, wow, they're capable of this. I had no idea. It didn't even dawn on me. You know, I, I went to um, one of the kids' uh, graduation this summer and the mom looked at me and she goes, I was jealous of you because you were doing things, you know, with my daughter that I was waiting to show her how to do. And then it, then I realized I'd waited too long. So, yeah. you know, go for it. I think, I think people surprise you. Yeah, I think you're right. I just, I find this also fascinating and I'm just so grateful that you were willing to talk about it because, um, like I said, I'm definitely going to try to pull it off myself, but I'm, also excited to share this with the American Meadows audience and our customers because we, as of yet, don't haven't really talked about stuff like this, but I feel like most gardeners, there usually comes a time when you just need some help. It might be yeah. unexpected. It, you know, it might not be that you planted way too much like I have. It might just be that everything's rolling around, along normally and then something comes up and you have to go out of town or, you know, you can get behind and it can snowball. 
Yeah. And I just love this as a great community minded system for, you know, getting the help you need, but also meeting teenagers and like you're doing, really teaching them something and, and making them learn. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I'm a fan. Yeah. Definitely. Well, and I have a lot of friends that that try to get help in the garden. And like I say, they've been discouraged. But I think the way that you, um, the difference between doing it this way with a group of kids and the approach is the difference between, you know, surviving in your garden over the summer or thriving in your garden over the summer. And I'll give you mm-hmm. a great example because I was a master gardener for Hennepin County for a year before I realized I just didn't have time, you know, with the four kids. And so, mm-hmm. um, but to this day, I'm still on their um, listserv. So I'll get the requests for, you know, volunteers. And I tell you what, it's every couple of weeks, there is a former master gardener or a master gardener knows of someone that just needs help in their garden. They need help weeding. They need the basics. You know, they've gotten sick or something's happened. And this happens to everyone. They don't even know where to go to find help. And if you are waiting till that day to get help in your garden, then it is a really big deal because nobody knows where anything's at. Nobody knows why this is planted there or why this is this way. And so if you start to regularly get some help in your garden, even if it's for just little nitpicky things that you wouldn't get done otherwise, whether it's, you know, um, adjusting an arbor so it's level or, you know, I don't know, fixing the fountain, whatever it is, then when the day comes where you can't get in your garden or you just, you know, really need help, um, it's not like this big deal. You've done it before when you were healthy and able and maybe just time bound. Um, but I know even for myself, it's like, okay, not a big deal because I know that if I need that help, it's right there because I've already been you know, nurturing those connections all along. Right. It's like when I, uh, you know, when the kids were really young and, you know, we needed babysitters a lot. I would tell, you know, other parents that were struggling with babysitters, I'd say, you know, you're always looking. You, you can't rely on one you know, person to be there on Saturday night every time you want to go out because people don't work that way anymore. Kids don't work that way anymore. So you've got to have a team in place. And then if two people on that team show up, great. If all six people show up, well, even better. Um, You do have to be a little bit of a master at knowing the tasks that you have in your garden and breaking them into little chunks. So, you know, something I'll regularly do is I'll have my phone with me and as I'm walking around the garden, I'll just, you know, verbally talk into my phone and say, okay, this has to get done, this has to get done, because you can't think of it when you're standing in your garage and you're greeting these gardeners walking up your driveway and you have to immediately think of things for them to do. So I'll have it all written down and I'll just kind of go through the list and go, okay, this today, I feel like doing this today. Okay, we'll start on that. Um... And so you do have to be a little bit of a maverick when it comes to delegating and, you know, matching people to tasks. Yeah, and I think that that flexibility that you're talking about and that kind of creativity is really hard to, like, it wouldn't work if you were hiring a company, like a landscape company or a, a gardening company, adults. Like, they sort of run things the way they want to. Yeah. And I'm not sure that you'd always get the same outcome. Yeah, I think the difference is exactly what you're saying. You're buying a service 
when you are, you know, working with an organization. It's like, we can offer this to you. It's probably the difference between buying a, you know, a, a, a home where it's like, this is the kind of home you get or a custom built home where it's like, no, I want a closed shoot, you know, I want a closed shoot and I want the third stall garage to be a little bit bigger. And, you know, there are a lot of uh, home builders, they don't do it that way. It's like, nope, this is what you get. Um, and so, I think that's the difference. And it's a relationship. You know, when when you're hiring kids, it might not get done as fast as it would if you were hiring a company. You know, like when I did my water feature, they got it done in three days. When uh, if I were going to have the kids do something like that, it would probably take two years. I mean, it's a ridiculous pro- project <laughs> to have kids do. It's just too much. But um I didn't need the landscape company to come in and, and plant the trees and shrubs around there or the perennials around there. I knew that we were going to do that. That's no problem. We can handle that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just, if you can, if time is not urgent and if the project is, you know, the scope and the scale of the project is very doable, then I think this is a great way to go. Yeah, I love it. Um I feel like I've we've covered so much and I've asked you so much, but are there is there anything missing? Are there any other tips that you think people we've left out and that people need to to walk away with here? You know, the only other thing that I think uh, people might be wondering about would be time and pay. And you know, I guess my advice on that is you have to determine what your budget is and what you can afford and how you want to track it. You know, for me, I've got students that have just volunteered. Their parents are like, they need volunteer opportunities. Could they do that for you? Absolutely. Happy to do that. How closely do you monitor that? Like, are you, you know, are they all very honest? Are you double-checking? Oh, hours? they're very honest. Yep. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm standing in the garage or I'm standing on the driveway or I'm in my garden when they're walking up and I'll say, hey, you know, let's wait till, you know, Emily and Mary show up and then we'll get going. So then uh, the first thing they do is they know they're going to sign in and I'll say, all right, we're going to get started at four o'clock. So everybody write down four o'clock. And then don't forget my Apple watch is going off every 15 minutes. It doesn't have to be an Apple watch. It can be any watch. But I think the if you have a timer going off every 15 minutes, it's a good reminder to you that you either need to be checking on what's going on or you need to be changing tasks. You know, is now a good time to change tasks? Oh, you guys are just about done. Okay, five more minutes then, and then we're going to change tasks. Um, and then the other thing, the great thing about the the every 15-minute, you know, reminder going off is that in those last 15 minutes, things need to happen for you to feel uh, good about what happened. And the two things for me that need to happen is, one, everything that got dragged out to work in the garden needs to get put away. So, um, and that's also a good reminder, too, that if you're going to have people working in your garden, you have to have enough tools for them to work in your garden. So, I love the garden rockers, those little garden chairs. They're fantastic. So, guess what? I have six of them. Because whether wow. it was for yeah, whether it was for me or for me and my own kids, you know, if we were going to sit and work in the garden together, or for me and the workers, everybody's got a chair. So I'll say, go grab a garden rocker and go grab, you know, a digit. Digits are my favorite garden tool. So I'll say, go grab a digit. I got six digits, and they're all numbered on the handle, so they know that when they start and end, there better be six digits. You know, one, two, three, four, five, six in that you know 
place, that bucket where we put those diggits. And all the garden rockers need to be by the basketball hoop because that's where we keep the basketball hoop. I digress here, but uh, so <laughs> they, um, let's see, what was I talking about? It was about time. Well, you're, and- you're reminding me of, of something else, and that is that one of my biggest concerns in the garden and that I would worry about a little bit is that in terms of changing every 15 minutes or thinking of new things to do, I'm always wondering, like, well, is there is there a place where I can work in the shade? Like, I'm always trying to stay oh, out yeah. of the hot sun. Yeah. So one thing that's been great for me is that I we have like a pop up tent, you know, and yes. easy up that you see at farmers markets. I just drag that thing all over the place with me so that I'm always in the shade. If, yep. if I if it fits where I am, it's made life so much easier. Yes, we do the same thing. So I've got three uh, big tents, and then um, there are these like these uh, post holders that they can put the big umbrellas in, so they have shade. The other right. thing is I have two big fans that they can, you know, plug in and drag around the gardens in the back. Because, you know, I heard Mike McGrath one time uh, talk about how mosquitoes aren't great flyers. So if you have a breeze, you're not going to get bit by mosquitoes because they they can't fly in that against that wind. So if we're in an yeah. area and the mosquitoes are terrible, we'll set up the tents and then we'll direct the fans right at the kids. And that has been a lifesaver. Um, oh, I know what I was talking about is about... Um, how you close out the last 15 minutes. So what I do is um, they have to go around and they have to put all those tools away. So whether it's the diggits or the chairs or, you know, pick up uh, empty pots and containers, um, you know, whatever it is that you, you don't want people working in your garden and then just bailing on you. And the next thing you know, you've got tools all over and everything's kind of a mess and you're tired now too. And so you got to go around and clean all that up. No, they're capable of doing that. So we allow five minutes to do that. Um, And usually at about the half hour mark, I'll say, guys, we're going to be wrapping up in 15 minutes. So make sure you look around, grab your tools, blah, blah, blah. And then um, uh, when that's done, we do end with walk around and take pictures. I want pictures. And then they either airdrop them. So right there, they can just... uh, uh, what do you call them, beep them right into my phone or zap them into my phone, or they'll just text <laughs> me the pictures. But what's great is if you have a crew, um, you know, let's say you have two to four kids out there helping you, well, then if every one of them is tasked with taking 25 pictures and some go overboard and some, you know, just do the bare minimum, well, you got 100 pictures of your garden that day of things that, you know, you maybe would have never taken a picture of because you see it all the time and it's nothing special to you. But to a pair of fresh eyes. It's it's amazing. So I love it because you have a log, an instant log of, oh, wow, this got done today. Um, and they're proud of it. You know, I guarantee I cannot, you. I cannot tell you how brilliant I think that is. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is brilliant, but the photo part and getting them to text it to you, it's like, I mean, you know, you have podcasts and you have social media. You just delegated this, like, to get 60 to 100 photos in 15 minutes yeah. is Super, super smart. Yep. You know, they do. They, yeah, they love it. I think it's, I think it's doing two things. You know, one, it's really documenting what they got done, but it also is a point of pride for them. It's like, I did that. It's not like they work here and then they leave and we never talk about it again. You know, they, they took that picture of the fountain that they fixed. I guarantee you they're going to show their mom and dad or they're going to show, you know, somebody in their life, I fixed that. And not only that, but when they come back, if they come back, you know, if it's a different group or they're part of a different group, I'll say, 
hey, look at this picture Blake took. This is awesome. Look at this picture. You know, so there's a lot of skills that we touch on that, you know, it's gardening, but it's all the skills that kind of accompany gardening, some of the artistic pieces, some of the interpretive things that can go on with gardening. And, you know, they, man, I tell you what, it's just, it's more fun for me too to, um, you know, share it with someone. I was interviewing Deborah Madison. And you oh, know, she, wow, yeah. I saw that. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm an Uber fan of Deborah Madison. Yeah, she's but. awesome. And we were talking mm-hmm. about uh, the mint family and how young basil will smell like mint. You've, I mean, you've got to be able to detect that smell. And she was saying, oh, yeah, it's so hard for people sometimes to detect that. And I laughed because I said, you know, with the student gardeners, I love that they're coming in with no labels, no preferences, no pre-conscribed or, you know, preset notions of how things should be. So when you're presenting something to them, it's the first time that they have really looked at sage or they've looked at rosemary or they're looking at young basil. And when you ask them as someone who has never done it before, they'll say, oh, is this mint? And you just want to die laughing because if I asked an old seasoned gardener, that's the last thing they'd pick up. They'd say, oh, this is basil. They know it's basil. They're not going to pick up those nuances. It's not fine wine to them. This is basil plant. But if you ask someone who is not a gardener and has never experienced it before, they're picking up all of those subtleties sometimes that, you know, the experienced people have forgotten. Um, You know, I love teaching the kids about succulents and you know, Laura Eubanks is going to be on the show. I mean, she's the succulent queen, as you know, as far as working with succulents. But I can give the kids a container and say, hey, uh, today you're going to do a succulent wreath. Go make it. Go. And, you know, I show them a few things. We talk about how succulents don't have, you know, big root systems. How can you tell if this is a succulent? Go find me, you know, five succulents. Go rip a few off and bring them here. We're going to make this head plant or whatever it is. And I tell you what, they are excited about that. And that's something that they learn. And then when their mom brings home, I don't know, some wreath form or head planter and they can do it, it's just like, huh, such a point of pride. So it's everything. It's the photography. It's being in the garden together. I think it's learning and growing together. And it makes it so much more exciting than just, hey, can you come over and weed for me? Yeah, it, absolutely. It's it's really an exceptional system, and I really want to thank you for letting me talk to you and interview you and share all of this with our audience. My pleasure, Jenny. This was fun. Have a great day. All right. You too, Jenny. Thank you. Well, that's it for the show today. I want to thank Jenny Prince for helping me do this episode. In fact, it was her idea. So great idea, Jenny. Jenny Prince of American Meadows. And don't forget that they have a special coupon code for listeners of this episode. You can enter Still Growing 17, all one word, all caps, Still Growing 17 as a coupon code up until May 31st, and you will get $10 off any order of $40 or more. So go ahead, check that out, take advantage of that offer. I want to thank my team at Podfly Productions for helping me produce my show every week. David Myers is my editor. Ein Kadena is my show note creator and my copywriter. And David Gregerson is my project manager. I also want to recognize the listeners that make up the Listener Advisory Board. 
These ladies are super helpful to me and give me lots of great suggestions and ideas every single week. Beth Engel, Denise Pugh, Denise Gardens in North Mississippi and is a contributing writer to Mississippi Gardener Magazine. Amy Von Achen, Patricia Chandler Newport of Backyard Urban Gardens. She's based out of Kego Harbor, Michigan. Deb Gibson and Peggy Ann Montgomery. She's the brand manager at American Beauty's Native Plants. And just a reminder, I'll have all the show notes from today's episode with links to everything that was mentioned on the show over at my website at the number six, ftmama.com. That's sixfootmama.com. And while you're there, you can check out the Facebook group. There's a link to the Facebook group in the menu at the very, very top. And so just tap on Facebook group and the group will pop right up. If you're in Facebook and just want to see if you can find it on your own, just type in Still Growing Podcast Group and our group will pop right up. Just request to join. You'll be admitted into the group. I'd love to meet you in the Still Growing Podcast Group on Facebook. Well, and I'll take one second and give you a quick garden scouting report here from lovely Maple Grove. And that is that my forsythia on the driveway is in bloom. It just happened overnight and it looks tremendous. So I'm going to bring some cuttings over to my neighbor and don't forget to do that. You can take cuttings of your spring flowering shrubs and bring some of that beauty indoors. It fades all too quickly. Have a great week, everyone. Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling is a SixFootMama.com production made in lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota. Still Growing is a weekly gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow.